God, thank you for this class and for the relationships, what they mean to me, the relationships that happen inside our small groups, the, the discussions that happen in our homes and the discipleship that happens with teenagers because of the relationships and discipleship that's happening amongst each other here. Lord, I pray as we kind of close up this series on the plastics of being a church where broken people can be real. God, I pray that, that you'd use the, these last three weeks and this message to, today that they wouldn't just be kind of a blip on the radar, oh, we did that plastic series, but there would be some long-term transformation that happens because of this series and because of this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hey, do you have a place, and I'm asking, I'd be interested if, I know a lot of people don't want to raise their hand and yell out and answer, but do you have a place for you that feels like home that's not your home? There's a place that you go to that you go, when I'm there, I feel like everything's right in the world. I feel like I can like breathe deeply. I feel like God is on his throne when I'm here. You have a place like that other than your house? Hopefully your house feels that way. Anybody? Where is it, Kelly? Uh, her mom's house. Okay. In-law's house. Where else? Neighbor's, neighbor's house. You don't have to go very far. That's nice. That's pretty good. <laughs> Where else? Where, you have a place that feels like home? You feel like out in nature. Okay, just, okay. So out in creation. For me, this sounds silly, but like when I walk into a baseball stadium or a high school football stadium, like I, I'll sit down on a Friday night in a high school football stadium, and it just feels like this is where I was supposed to be. Like, I, it feels like there's no cares in the world. I'm, I'm just loving life, watching bands and kids and parents and all of this interact around this sport and making these memories. I love that. I had a place that also felt like home, that was a place I could, I guess I could go to any time. It was my grandmother's house. We called her Mimi. I, I took this painting that somebody did, and it's been in my attic until this moment because God only knows there's no way my wife is hanging this in my house. <laughs> but my, my grandmother was getting, or my uncle was getting rid of it, and I said, I want it. And I, I don't know who painted it. I don't know anything about it, but I grabbed it because it's, it was... It was this special memory to me. My grandmother and grandfather lived on the bayou, down at Chocolate Bayou in Texas. And, and we grew up in the summers going to this house quite a bit. And I loved it. You can kind of see here, it, it doesn't even do it justice, but they had this wraparound porch that went around the entire second floor of the house. Had these dual stairways that went down. And right over here to the right was a, a, an empty lot that was always, because my grandfather was out there, always perfectly manicured. And we played football and baseball and all kinds of stuff there. You can see the boat in the background. The bayou ran right behind their house. One of those houses is on stilts because about every 10 to 15 years, the bayou would flood, and so everybody's houses are on stilts, and everything on the first floor is linoleum, so you can just you know, power wash it all out. Across the street was a, another part of the bayou that you could go to, and I'd go crabbing as a kid. Love that place. Like, as, as an adult and as I look back, I, I, I've actually thought, like, I would love one day to be in a position where I could like buy that property and just have it. And I was down in Nederland two or three years ago for an event and it finished at three o'clock, four o'clock in the afternoon. And, and as I was driving, I drove past Chocolate Bayou Road and it just dawned on me, oh man, I'm right down here. I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go see the old house. So I called my mom for the address and my mom said, yeah, I'm not gonna give it to you. And I said, well, no, I wanna go. She goes, no, you don't, you don't wanna go. Somebody bought it, 
and they tore out the wraparound porch, and they tore out the stairs. Somebody bought the lot next to it. There's a house there. It's not going to look like anything like you remember. So I I kept my painting, you know, because I I didn't want to mess it up. But that was, that was, it was like, I thinking about it, like, man, I would have loved to take my kids in summer and just sit out on that porch and overlook the bayou and watch the boats go by, watch people fish. It would have felt like old times. It would have felt safe, really. I don't know any other feeling to describe it. But what, what if, what if this place, I'm not talking about the Collide Room, could be, I'm talking about a church, what if this place felt like that for people? If it was a place that people went, man, when I show up and I walk through the building and I sit in the worship center, I come to Clyde Room, I sit in my small group, when I'm just hanging out, walking around, it feels like home to me. I feel like I can just be me. I feel like there's no facades. I'm not playing the game at work, trying to advance. I'm not out the baseball field or football field or watching dance and and like praying that God would make my kid like do better than everybody else because, you know, I got that, uh, you know, competition in me or whatever. I can just be me, good, bad, ugly, whatever. Well, that would be pretty phenomenal. We've been going through the series where a couple weeks ago we talked about confession. We talked about repentance the second week. This last week we talked about forgiveness, these, these stair steps in our spiritual journey that help us to become people who aren't plastic, who who, who don't have a fake smile, who can be real, who can say, hey, I admit I'm broken. I can admit that to God. I can admit that to people because I've repented. I've turned around and God is doing this work in my life and it's such a powerful work in my life. I want people to know about it. And I'm learning how to forgive people. I'm trying to find forgiveness and freedom in my relationships. And, and we, we start doing that, not just for a series, but we become that kind of people. We start being a place that broken people run to. We start having small groups that are, are intimate and deep in everything they're supposed to be. This series ha- has been really great. I- I've had, honestly, I can't even tell you how many conversations I've had with people, at least 10, that have been people talking about what the Lord's been doing in their life. If they've started to confess some things and repent and, and, and chase after forgiveness, so much so that tonight, our family meeting, I, I was looking for a testimony uh, a five-minute testimony for New Life in Christ, just kind of wrap up the series. And I've, like I said, I've had about 10 different stories. I can't use any of those 10 stories or so tonight because they just don't fit the, the moment. The moment tonight's like a, a five-minute testimony. And these people, they're coming and telling me stories. They're, 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 they're way more than five minutes to do it justice. And some of it's so raw, they're still processing. But, you know, you would get up and they would, they would tell this cliffhanger of a story of what God is doing from their past and things like that. It just, it just wouldn't feel right. It wouldn't fit. So side note, if you've got a story about new life in Christ, if it's five minutes, I could use you tonight. File that away, find me afterwards. <laughs> but I'm hearing these incredible stories. Just during this series, I've had some teenagers have some major things happen in their life. One of them having some family things that just turn the family literally upside down and don't know what the future holds. Another kid that's dealing with some things as of this week that are so heavy, life-changing, I don't know what tomorrow holds type thing. One of our other kids uh, talking about some things that happened in her past, some sexual abuse type things that have come up as, as she's been walking with the Lord through some of these things. And you know what all three of them said, unsolicited, they all three talked about their small group and how their small group has come around and is walking with them. 
because they are open <coughs> and they're sharing and they're doing life together. <coughs> Excuse me. And they're not hiding their brokenness. They're not hiding things that, because they're afraid of what people might think of them. They're just going, hey, this is who God is and what he's doing in my life. And I'm okay with you knowing. And, and, and they're finding freedom and they're finding real life as they move from plastic to authentic. For me, one of, the, one of the greatest things I do during the course of a month is, is our home group. I have a home group that some of our youth ministry team, we meet. And I'll be honest with you, there's, it's a, it, on a regular basis, there's tears shed in home group. Because we talk about if, anything and everything. This, this last week, we, our home group met in the waiting room at St. David's Hospital. We all loaded up, got some people to watch the kids, and we drove over and, and circled up and went through Esther chapter 3 and Esther 4 because Two members of our home group had been in the hospital for three days with one of their kids, and we're doing life together. And so we're not, we're coming down and, and praying together and talking about what we're afraid of and what, what's, what's the doctor saying and what is the outlook. I mean, it's, just, it's real. We're just doing life together, and it is fantastic. You see, we live in a world, you know what church used to be? Church used to be where you went to worship and you went to hear preaching and teaching and learn, right? I mean, that, that was when we were growing up, that was one of the primary reasons we went to church. But we're living in a world now where that really doesn't matter because you can get on iTunes and find somebody that can, can preach to you or speak to you infinitely better than I can or Kevin can or, or our pastoral staff. There's some people out there that <coughs> are iconic communicators. We can go download every lesson message they have for free. You can download live worship anywhere, anywhere. You, you can log on and, and, and watch Hillsong. If, you know, if, you, if you like Hillsong you, and worship with them, North Point in Atlanta, you can get anything you want. But you know what you can't get online or on iTunes? People to walk with. I mean, you can get online relationships, but they're not the same. And so what we have and what, we have to, what we're aiming to be is, is a church that is doing life together and being real, not plastic, but just very authentic of who God is and what he's doing in our life. There's a, there's a Chicago Tribune article that came up not too long ago that was talking about this new gym in Chicago, and I think they're starting to multiply around the United States. It's called Downsized Fitness, I believe is the name of it. Now, to go to this gym, you have to be trying to lose 50 pounds or more. So if you're not at that, wait, trying to get down, you, you can't get a membership. Show, you got my pictures up? So like, because here's the, nobody wants to work out with that guy, <laughs> right? I mean, you walk into the gym and this dude's over there and he's got a glistening sheen and he's like, he knows what all the machines do. And he's like, you're lifting a weight. You can barely get one of the weights under your thing. And he's got seven of them on there and he's just throwing them up. What they realized, this, this business model went, people who are overweight, people who are struggling, they, they don't want to go into the gym next to this guy. So for downsized fitness, you have to be losing 50 pounds or more, so it's, it's people who are overweight. There's one lady in the article, she came in at 280 pounds, she's already lost 20. And it's the interview, she said, I cry on a regular basis of the change that's happening in my life. And what the article said is this, they said, most gyms cater towards the physically fit. You ever think about that? They cater towards the physically fit. They don't, <coughs> they don't cater towards the people who actually need the gym more than anybody else. And I wonder how many churches and us are, 
Are we a church that caters towards the spiritually fit? Or are we a place for broken people? See, the church, the church exists for people who are healing. Heaven's the place for people who are already healed. I mean, when you're, when you're fully sanctified, I mean, when you get saved, you become justified, made right, forgiven, everything made right with God. But you've experienced what, the, what a theologian calls sanctification, the process of becoming more like Jesus every day, right? You could, because the Holy Spirit is inside you, you could never sin again. That's theologically possible. You haven't experienced that yet because of the sanctification process because hopefully you are more like Jesus today than you were when you got saved. Hopefully you're more like Jesus today than you were a week ago. That's the sanctification process that becomes complete when we meet Jesus face to face. New body, new address, eternally in heaven. But until then, we're figuring it out. And the, and the church is for people who are healing. I want you to go over to Mark chapter 2. This passage of scripture we're going to be in this week. I'd love for you to go back and look at it with your kids. We'll talk about it on Wednesday night with teenagers, same thing. And then next Sunday, they will jump into talking about this passage a little bit more. Mark chapter 2, verse 13, tells the story of when Jesus called Matthew, or depending on your translation, it may say Levi, same person, calls Matthew to be a disciple. Verse 13 says, He went out again beside the sea, Jesus, and all the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. And, he passed, and as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. Now, this is setting up kind of where we're going, but there's a couple things in here that just intrigue me about Jesus. What we, we read is we're moving into kind of the meat of where we're going to be. Jesus has been out by the water side, and he's been teaching. He's moved from there, and as he's going to his next place, he walks by a tax booth, and Matthew's there. And here's one of the things that's intriguing to me. After Jesus has done his ministry, after he's spoken to, God only knows how many people are there. He still is spiritually sensitive enough to recognize that something is happening in Matthew's life and heart, and Jesus is able to stop in what he's doing and address Matthew and say, hey, come follow me. And I say that he recognized that God was always doing something. I'm assuming that's the case because... And Jesus walks up, and as he's passing by, he says, follow me. Matthew does. So, I mean, I'm assuming that there was, there was something spiritually already happening in Matthew's life. That would make sense. I mean, if there wasn't, Matthew hadn't thought a moment about the Lord. Matthew hadn't thought a moment about what God was calling him to do for his future. And a rabbi walks by and goes, follow me. And you're not inclined to go, okay. I mean, that had to be the confirmation of what God was already doing. And Jesus, who's been ex expending and giving still is sensitive enough to see what's happening in Matthew's life. That, that intrigues me because I'll be honest with you. Like when I come off of this stage in a moment, I'll be in somewhat of a fog. Just the spiritual and emotional uh, you know, outpouring of, of teaching. And so you, you've probably witnessed this before. You'll come to me afterwards and say something. And I normally say something like this. Will you email me that? Because I know I'm struggling like, with, with like, being fully attentive. And yet Jesus finished this moment and is still fully attentive. Jesus is, has been this guy. Jesus went on the mission trip. This is what happens to teenagers. We go on the mission trip and we're so focused on what God's called us to do and we are on our A game and we come back and we land and we get back to Georgetown and totally miss everything that God's calling us to do here. 
because we like flipped the switch when we got home. Jesus didn't teach and then flip the switch and go off to his business. He's still walking and looking and going, there's Matthew. And he says, follow me. Here's the second thing that really just blows me away. Jesus didn't dumb down the call. Jesus said, follow me. And Matthew did. We don't see anything in here where Jesus like lines out like, here's the plan. Here's what the 401k package looks like. You know, here's gonna be your hours and your days. He says, follow me. Matthew does, leaves the tax booth. Where am I gonna live? Follow me. But how do we get money? How do we eat? Follow me. What about my friends? What, I mean, what, are they, what about my family? Follow me. That's a heavy call. Turns you upside down to follow Jesus. See, we like to follow Jesus down the safe path. I'll follow Jesus, but I, Jesus, I need, I need to know kind of all the details of where you're going if you really want me to be all in. That's not the way Jesus works. Never has and never will. He says, follow me, and we go all in immediately for better or for worse. I love that, and that matters. We're talking about going all in because of what's going to happen next. Verse 15 says, and he reclined at the table in his house. Many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. Now, I don't, I don't know the timeline. I, I hope, I really do, like, when I ask Jesus, I hope this is the timeline. I hope Jesus walked to Matthew and went, follow me. And Matthew dropped everything and started walking. And then we find out other people are following. I mean, Jesus' other disciples are there. <coughs> There's some other tax collectors. Jesus has this crew going. And I don't know if it worked this way, but the scripture makes it seem like, he's like, follow me. And as they're, as they're walking, Matthew's like, looks like we're kind of going to my house with all of these people. And I don't know if that would happen that way. I really want to believe that it did, that Jesus said, follow me, and then showed up at Matthew's house. And went, Matthew, go fix dinner. We're all here. So they go in, and they're eating there, and it's tax collectors and sinners. So this is your lunch party. This is when you walk over to your neighbor's house because they've invited you to dinner. And sitting at the table is a stripper. You can just tell. Her name's Cinnamon. I mean, it's obvious. <laughs> it's obvious by the way she's dressed. It's already inappropriate. And, and, and you just go, hey, and, and next to her is the bartender from the strip club. He's talking about it. He's all tatted up. Looks like he's killed a couple people, you know, and he's, he's sitting there. You got a couple of guys, you, you don't even have to ask. You know they're in a motorcycle gang. They've got the leather vest with the patches on it. There were two motorcycles out front. They've got ZZ Top beards. They're sitting there at the table. There's a homosexual couple there as well. You can tell, you didn't have to ask. It was obvious. And you see another guy there. He doesn't look like the rest of them, but you recognize him because he's been in the news because he's been indicted He's one of these guys that's done a, a Ponzi scheme, and you know he's actually stolen millions of dollars from people's retirement funds, and it looks like he's going to get away scot-free. They're all there at your neighbors. Are, are you running to the dinner table? Like, man, this looks like great conversation. Cinnamon, how'd you get that name? Right? You're not running to that, you're not running to that table. You're walking in and kind of stopping and going like, what's going on here? And then wondering like, why'd they invite me? Like, I don't think my reputation like fits this crowd. How did I get an invite? But that's who's at the table. And the rabbi, Jesus, 
is there. And so you have to, people have to, you know, they, they wonder, like, why? Why is this? Why would he put his reputation up against their reputation? Because you know people are going to talk. I mean, does he do those things? Like, we thought he was, we thought he was kind of like a legit teacher. Why, why is he hanging out with these people? And then verse 16 says, And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? Yeah, I used to, because I've read the Bible for lots of years, and I know the Pharisees are traditionally like bad guys, I've always read that, like with them being judgmental. Like, why does he do that? I wonder now if they're not just asking that question because they are fully astounded and shocked. Like, what, what's going on? Not, not that they are judging, but like, we, this is so paradigm shifting for us. We don't understand what's going on. What, what is going on here? And then Jesus says this. When he heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a, phys- of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Jesus' answer to them was this, guys, I'm here. I exist not for the people who think they've got it all together. I'm not here for the people who, <coughs> here's what Jesus would say, I'm not here for the people who have fully lived out the law to its perfection. Well, you know what that means. That's nobody, because nobody had done that. So Jesus, when he says, I'm here for the sick and the sinners, he's actually saying, I'm here for everybody, even the Pharisees. But the point he's driving in is, these guys get it that they're broken. You don't. You're still plastic. You're still playing the religious game. You're still pretending that you have it all together. But I'm here with the people that are, that, that are crying out. Remember a couple of weeks ago, we talked about the, the Pharisee that prayed, I'm, thank you, God, that I'm not like these people. And Jesus pointed to the guy who was, who was beating his breast and wouldn't stand by anybody and wouldn't even look at people and just cried out, God, have mercy on me, I'm a sinner. And Jesus affirmed that guy. Well, again, Jesus is affirming the people who are saying, I'm broken. And Jesus says, if you're broken and you recognize your need, let's do dinner together. Now, Jesus, and we, we know, we don't see it here in this passage because it's not the point of the passage, but we know Jesus doesn't leave people in their sin. I mean, you know what kind of conversations were happening around that table. Cinnamon, let me tell you how to walk away from the lifestyle. Ponzi scene guy, let me tell you about integrity. Let me tell you what, God, what, what, my, what my plan is for you. All of these different, I mean, God wasn't leaving them, Jesus wasn't leaving them where they are, but he loved them in such a way that even in spite of their brokenness, they felt like they were home. They felt like they were moving forward, that God was doing something in their life. And what's crazy is we've just forgotten about it. We were them. I mean, you may not have the sordid history of the people that I just threw out there, but do you remember, I mean, we fell in love with Jesus because he took our brokenness and fixed it. He took all of our sin that was causing guilt and shame and he healed it. And some of us have been going through confession, repentance, forgiveness for some things right now, and God's doing this incredible work in our life. Grace is falling all upon us, and we're experiencing it, but somehow there's this disconnect that we go, well, I'm not like them. And the very reason that we fell in love with Jesus is the same reason that those people are reaching out to Jesus. But we've forgotten where we've come from. We've forgotten who we were. 
I'll be honest with you. I grew up in Killeen. I have no desire to move back. If you've ever been to Killeen, you probably know why. Like, I want to go back. I go back, my family's there. But when I drive back and I drive through places, even some of the bad parts of town where my biological father lived and spent lots of time, there's still these memories and there's something inside you that goes, this is, this is home, this is where I'm from. When First Baptist Colleen, the church that's so instrumental in my discipleship, calls and asks and says, hey, would you come do this? Which they only have a couple times. I mean, I, I, don't, even, I don't even question it, absolutely. I really do whatever they ask. You know, I lived there three years less than I lived in Georgetown. That blew my mind. I lived in Georgetown for three years longer than I lived in Killeen, or grew up. And I was thinking about this, and I had to put a caveat on it, but I was thinking, you know, Friday night, I'm sitting in my, my home, a football stadium, and the Clayton Kangaroos come, and, and our Georgetown Eagles, our Eastview Patriots are on the field. Because I want to stay friends, I'm not going to tell you who I'm cheering for. It's home. I did think about it. If it was a playoff game or a state championship game that mattered, and we had kids that were in it, I would probably be going for our kids. But if it's just a non-district game, I'm rolling with the ruse because that, that's, that's home. That's, that's who I was, and I haven't forgotten. And, and Jesus would say to us, hey, don't forget. When you look at all of these sinners, but by the grace of God go I. That's me. Their story may be culturally worse. Their sin may be looked upon by people around as way worse than mine but I was broken and disenfranchised and far from God until Jesus showed up. We don't forget where we come from. We go, you know what? We know where you're at because we were there. And here's what God's doing in my life. And I want you to come be a part of my community and be real and move towards healing and experience confession and experience repentance and find how to forgive yourself and forgive others and walk with Jesus. So here's, here's what we do. If you're, if you're a note taker, just, I'm going to give you just three things to think through some things that we need to start figuring out how to do in our life. And the first thing is this. We've got to learn to see past the exterior of people, right? That, that's the biggest thing. We look at people and we make a judgment call. We've heard a story about them and we, we've already decided who they are. I remember we were in Oklahoma on a mission trip. We were on the border of Texas, Oklahoma, several years ago. And we were supposed to go into this resort area around Lake Texoma to set up like a vacation Bible school. It was really the worst kind of mission trip idea that anybody had ever given us. We were doing it with an organization. <coughs> and the, <coughs> excuse me, the whole plan was go walk through the resort and do a vacation Bible school and invite all the kids to come to vacation Bible school. So you can imagine, we're walking around going, hey, kids that don't know us, and we're like strangers, do you want to come to vacation Bible school or go skiing on the boat with your family that you came to do? Didn't work out real well because people were like, I'm going skiing. But while we're there, we're leaving where we were, our, our, where we were staying, and we were walking across the road to go over into the uh, area where we were supposed to be working that day. And as we're walking, we see this guy, and he's kind of set up like a, a campground picnic. And this guy is that Hell's Angels guy I talked about. He's, he's got a motorcycle. He looks, he looks like he'd killed a few people like that morning. I mean, he's just like scary looking guy. And we're all walking, doing what what most people would do, like taking the long way around, you know, so that we don't get added to his kill list for the day. As we were talking, we we're like, you know what? As we we're walking, we're like, we, we need to go talk with him. Why, why would we walk past him to go share the gospel with people in the resort? 
Let's go, let's go talk to him and see. So we go up, we start striking a conversation with him. Here's what we found out. He's like, a, he, he's like a member of a biker church before biker churches were even around. He starts telling us about a story of when the Lord came into his life and saved him. He starts talking about his whole story from, uh, from, from being broken to being healed. Talking, I mean, he's just testifying to Jesus. And we're like, okay, God, lesson learned. Lesson learned. But we were looking at the exterior at first. You gotta look past the exterior and realize that every person has a story. And most of what you see in the exterior is really just the glossings of that story. And once we start to understand people's story, we start to understand people and we were able to see past the exterior. Here's the second thing. Throw up the next one. We gotta ask God to direct our feet and our conversation. So this is the real practical. Because I know say learn to look past exteriors. You're gonna need some accountability to do that. You're gonna need a, a spouse, a friend, maybe your kids. Your kids might be good at this. Say, so, hey, when I start talking about people because of their exterior, call me on it. If I say, oh, we're not going to go that way, why? What's their story, mom? What's their story, dad? That'd be a good tool. But this one, you can start doing today. Start asking God, Lord, show me where you want me to go. Show me who I'm supposed to go have a conversation with. God, when somebody walks into this room, I want them to find the healing that I found. So God, I want you to move me to them when I see them, and I want you to direct the conversation. And we start praying, God, show me. Like, as Jesus walked past Matthew, Hey, I realize this is a moment and changed everything for Matthew. If we all started praying, not just in here, but out everywhere we are, at work, in our neighborhoods, wherever, God, show me who I need to talk to. Show me who needs real relationships. Show me what conversations to start and what questions to ask. As the Holy Spirit starts to move, God's going to start bringing the people that are looking for him to you, to us. And here's the third thing that's probably the hardest of all to tangibly do, but we have to be real. We, got, we, we have to stop being fake. We have to start saying now, hey, friends, I want you to know my wife and I, our marriage is struggling. We, we feel like, I'll be honest with you, we feel like we've fallen out of love. That may not be a conversation for here. There's a time and a place, but there is a time and a place. And the time is not seven months from now. And the place is not in a lawyer's office. It's with the people of God. If you're going, man, I'm struggling with my job. I think I'm about to be fired because of this and this and that. I screwed up several things. And man, I'm feeling, I'm feeling the, the burden of the self-esteem dropping that, that I'm not gonna be able to provide for my kids. It's something that I've always been able to do and I don't have anybody to talk to, share life with. You start walking that journey with some other people that can walk with you. You start drawing closer to God because of God's people. It's, just, it's called being real and doing the journey together. And we're not being people that are judgmental because we're hearing people's stories. If you follow me on social media, I posted a picture yesterday and rewrote because I want you to hear the story because it's a perfect picture. This is Mondo Molina. Last year, I was invited to go to First Baptist Graham to speak their 180 weekend, their disciple now. So I went out, and honestly, I don't really remember what the theme was. What I do know is I did message one, and I did message two, and after message two, that night before I was, it was the Saturday night, I was doing that last service, and then I was coming home. I'm in, the, in this back hallway of the church, and it's kind of, you know, low lit, they don't have lights on, I'm trying to find this quiet moment where I can get my thoughts together. 
and Mondo shows up. Mondo's the sound guy. He been, I mean, I met him first day because he's the one in my microphone. He's running all the sound. And Mondo starts talking to me and telling me a story. I'm gonna tell, he didn't tell me all the story up front, but here's the deal. Mondo's <coughs> house had caught on fire and burned the September before. His wife, we kept calling his wife, but it wasn't his wife. It was a lady he'd been living with for 20 years and had a couple kids with. She'd left him. She said, I'm done, I'm out. He was so broken that he pulled his kids, and he, he said now he realized it was not a good idea. He pulled his son out of, out of school to help him rebuild the house, cause his son who was a senior to graduate late and go online. That's just kind of where he was at. And he gets this phone call. Hey, there's a church that's doing a weekend. They need a sound guy. Would you be interested? And he's like, I need the money. I'm absolutely broke. I'll, I'll do any work that I can. So he ends up doing sound at this show. <coughs> this picture, <coughs> excuse me, is from Friday. He's telling his story to the 180 Weekend leaders, and I snapped the picture because I was sitting in the front row. And, and he says this. He says, I'm sitting in this worship center, and I'm listening to the messages, and I'm listening to the Bible teaching. And he said, I was only doing it because I had to, because I'm the sound guy. He said, there's any way I could have put it on auto. I would have left. He said, I, I went to church when I was a kid from when I was about four to 13. When I was 13, I walked away from the church and didn't want to have anything to do with God. But I find myself sitting here having to listen to this Bible teaching because I'm the sound guy and I can't get away from it. And he was able to tell, he told him all about what the session one was from a year ago. And he's telling him, I was like, oh yeah, oh yeah, I do remember it now. And he's talking about what God started saying to him through that. And then session two rolled around and we were talking about the church being the bride of Christ. And I made this comment that said, if you talk bad about the church, in essence, you're talking bad about God's wife, and you better check yourself. And he started, he said, man, I started thinking, he said, I used to tell jokes all the time to people, and, he said, and dirty jokes, off-color jokes. And he said, after I told the joke and everybody laughed, I'd get the second laugh, and I'd say this all the time, I'd tell them, well, I heard that one at church, and people would laugh again. And he said, I was sitting there, and you said, he said that when you talk bad about the church, you're talking bad about God's wife. He said, and I sat right there, and he said, I prayed, God, if this is why you brought me here, I, I'm never going to say that again. I will never talk bad about your church again. And he said, 30 seconds later, he got a text from his girlfriend that said, can you call me? And he said, I stepped out real quick and called her. And she said, 30 seconds after that, he said, she said, I want to come home. And he said, God, I don't know what you're doing in my life. But I, you need to do something. So he comes, he tells, tells me parts of that story. It's before the session three. And so I start talking to him. I don't really know him. I just got the microphone from him. We're talking about his life and stuff like that. And I started talking about the church there in Graham because I'm, I realized I'm in, in two hours from this conversation, I'm getting a car and driving to Georgetown, probably never going back to Graham again, I mean, as far as I know. So I started talking about Graham and he says, he says, well, I don't really live in Graham. I live about 30 minutes from here in a, a town you've never heard of. It's a town called Olney. And I said, you know what's interesting? I have never heard of Olney until earlier this week when I realized that a guy I went to college with just became the pastor a year ago or so at First Baptist Olney. I said, do you know Chad Edgington? He said, yeah, I know Pastor Chad. I said, that's who you need to get with. You need to talk to Chad. So he tells more of his story. He leaves that disciple now, 180 weekend. He says on Sunday, he goes over to his mom's for lunch. He sits down for lunch. She knows nothing of the story. She brings lunch out to the table and she sits down and she looks at him and she goes, honey, we need to talk about God. He was like, what? They had this conversation. He said later that week, he had to drive an hour and a half to a buddy that he did some instrument stuff with. And he got to the guy's house. And they sat in. And the guy said this. This is the quote Mondo told the students, or the leaders. He said, the guy said, hey, Mondo, you know, every time we, we talk about music, 
I want to talk to you today about your relationship with God. And I was like, okay, okay, Lord, I hear. Like, so he gets on Facebook. And this, this mom said, I got no clothes. My house burned down. I'm a short. I mean, it was 35 degrees in Graham. That's what he was wearing. He said, I'm a, I'm a shorts and, and shirt guy. I don't, I don't have a whole lot. I'm broke. He's posting this on Facebook. Is there any place, is there any church in our area that would accept me for who I am? And lo and behold, guess who was the first comment? Chad Edgington, pastor of First Baptist Olney and said, we've got your place. And a year later, I end up back, and Graham, he ends up back, and I walk in, and the guy who's running their 180 weekend is so pumped up, he said, man, I got, everybody has to hear this story. Mondo, the sound guy, won't stop talking to everybody he sees about what God's done in his life in the last year because of what God started this weekend. Don't you want that to be our story? That people all over our community go, hey, I'm broken. I got junk. People aren't going to like me. Where could I go? On Wednesday, and I'm not going to post it online or anything. I, I haven't even filmed it. I don't even know if, if it'll turn out good. I'm not really a good film editor. But we got a young lady that tomorrow is coming in and she's agreed to do a video for us. I might have mentioned her before. She's a junior in high school. Got pregnant. Going to church. Left her church because she felt like everybody at church was judging her and she couldn't fit in there. Now here's the win. I met her because two of our girls told her, and I'm glad they believed this. They said, you need to come with us on Wednesday night because you'll never feel that way here. I got to talk to her about what's next. Now, here, here's the thing. You know what some, some of us might be thinking already? Well, yeah, she, she's, a, she's a sinner. She got pregnant outside of marriage. Absolutely. She, she is a sinner. A dirty, rotten, filthy sinner. As am I. I can't go back. I can't go back and unwork the decision she made. I, I would hope as a, as, a, as a pastor and as a parent to my kids that I could help kids learn the ways of the Lord so that they don't get into that position, not just because of the sin of it, because of the life-changing consequences that come. I want, I want to be on the front end of things. But from where she stands today, I can't change anything. I can't change the decision she made, but you know what I can do? I can walk alongside of her and let her find healing and grace and find a relationship with Jesus that would change her future so that her past doesn't have to dictate it. Don't you want to be that church? And if you don't, I want you to consider what might, be ha what might happen when that's your kid or your grandkid. Because then you'll come falling on your knees begging confession and repentance and begging for forgiveness going, I want to be that now. That's what this whole plastic series is about. So now we have to take what we know
and his parents and small groups in the church figure out how to go be that. One way we're going to do that is by talking through it now. So it's 1020. We got about 20 minutes or so. There's some questions in the app I want you to have, but I want to pray for us as we transition to that. God, my prayer